You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Enough of this. Who are you? Um, you know who I am. You knew the moment you saw me. I'd say stop being an idiot, but I kind of know what's coming. I assure you, I do not have the faintest idea who you are. Well, I know who you are. Is anyone going to explain what's going on? Snap. You or me? No. No. Yes. Yes, I'm very much afraid, sir. Do I become you? Well, there's a few false starts, but you get that in the end. The, the, I thought... Well, well I uh, assume that I'd get younger. I am younger! Welcome, everybody, to the 602 Club. I'm so excited to be here today. As uh, I have no idea where we're coming from because it could be anywhere in time and space. And all I know is I'm really glad to have my pal, Drea Kaufman, here to talk about our subject. So how are you doing, Drea? Good. Do I get to be your companion for this episode? Yes! I've always wanted a companion. Uh Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, But, um, so, I mean, if you haven't figured it out, we're talking about the Doctor (laughs) Who Christmas special. Uh, It's been a while since we talked to Doctor Who, and and I love the Christmas specials because they give us an opportunity to go back and do that. And... um, we have the opportunity now to, to really dig into, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the Capaldi Doctor and, uh, of course, the episode and his regeneration. And, of course, what we have coming up, which is we have a female doctor coming up as well as uh, Jodie Whittaker will be taking over the role. So really excited. Well, spoilers, to, everyone. <laughs> I mean, if, <laughs> if you, you haven't, haven't seen the episode the by now and you months. hadn't seen the news, you know, it's been everywhere. So <laughs> I don't really feel bad for spoiling it for you. Because it's not a spoiler. If you haven't seen it yourself, then this would not be a... I mean, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> surprise. I mean, they've they've had the picture of her out, too, in her costume for a while now. For, yeah, so, forever. I mean, it's... Yeah. But uh, before we dive into everything, uh, just, of course, a quick reminder, you can find us all over the place. Uh, the 602 Club is proudly part of the Trek FM network, and uh, you can find us uh, and all the shows that we do here in Trek FM on iTunes. It's a great place to go over an Apple Podcasts. Uh, while you're there, hit us up with a star rating and review. You can find us at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. And, uh, yeah, give us a star rating and review. Uh, really does help people find the show, and uh, we really appreciate it. And, of course, uh, if you do, call you out on the show and read your review and let everybody know what you had to say about the show. You can find us on Twitter at TrekFM or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. Uh, if you want to have a more in-depth discussion, the Babel Conference, which is our listeners-only discussion group, is a great place to go. Uh, you can find that on Facebook. Uh, just type Babel into the search field or... If you are over on our website, which is a fantastic place to visit at trek.fm, 
You can find uh, all the shows that we do on, on every show page. You can hit discussion, and that would lead you over to the group. And then last but not least, if you want to connect with us even further, you can go in and shoot us an email at trek.fm slash contact, choose the show, choose the 602 Club, and that'll come to me and any host that's on that week. And so uh, very excited. In fact, I uh, wanted to say thank you. Uh, got a great message uh, from a listener, uh, Davey. Really appreciate it. And so uh, he had some thoughts about our last discussion uh, on The uh, Last Jedi. And so really appreciate you sending that in. That's wonderful. Um and I uh, was able to email him back. So thank you so much, Davey, for sending that. It's, it's great to talk to you, and thanks for listening. Uh, so, Drea, before we even kind of dive into the Christmas special, um, you know, we haven't really talked too much on the show, as I said recently, uh, about Doctor Who. In fact, I think the last time, and I'm, I'm trying to find it, the last time we talked about Doctor Who, I believe, was, yeah, it was the Christmas special with River Song, with the husbands of River Song. That's the last time we talked about it. So basically a year ago at this time. And um I just kind of wanted to I don't okay, think that now, was me. Yeah, no. Um I don't remember who it was though. Yeah, I don't either. But I wanted to ask you with um having Capaldi's run be over, um, before we even dive into his regeneration and his Christmas episode that does that. I wanted to ask you um, what you thought of Capaldi as the doctor and the stories that he got. So, first of all, apologies to everyone out there. I'm fighting off something, so I sound real raspy right now. So just bear with me here. Um, so I'm going to start with uh, w- my husband and I never watched Doctor Who until, I don't know, maybe four years ago. So by the time we started, I think we were just at the end of the tenant run as it ran, like on the air. And uh, so we went back and started at the beginning and watched all the way through. Um, so we were kind of late to the Doctor Who game, um, but uh, we have I have seen all of it multiple times over now, so I'm a big Doctor Who fan in general. Um, as for Capaldi, I... I feel like everyone sort of has this mourning period when the doctor leaves. Um, mm, whenever yeah. you lose a doctor, whoever it is, you have this this moment where you're always like, I'm not going to like this next doctor. Like, this is not a good cast. I just don't like them. You almost <laughs> always go in not liking whoever it is, like, to start with. Um, no, I don't like that. That's not a good fit. That's not who the doctor is. Um, and normally by a couple episodes in, you're kind of over it. Or you're at least like, okay, maybe not my favorite doctor, but... You know, I can see it now. Um, I don't know that I ever had that moment with Capaldi. I don't think I ever had the, okay, he's not my favorite, but I can see it. Um, I was not a big fan. They started to lose me a bit the last, what is it, two seasons that we've had Peter Capaldi? Um, Uh, Three. Three. Okay, wow. I've suffered a long time, (laughs) y'all. And I apologize to anyone out there who loves him as the doctor. Um, he was definitely not a good fit for me. And I don't think it had to do with age or anything like that. Um, we were talking about it at lunch today, um, actually. There's just, I felt like this run of the doctor was lacking an overarching plot. It didn't have a good start and finish. It didn't have a good, I'm going to start something now and finish it in a couple of seasons. I'm going to weave things through. I think there was a lot of like recreating 
um, like what we had established things to be. He sort of just disregarded all of that. I just, and I don't know that it's necessarily Capaldi's fault. I think maybe the writing just didn't work for him. He didn't have real strong mm-hmm. storylines. He had a lot of monster of the week storylines and some of them were really like, I don't know. There's something about a monster being created from the sleep in the corner of my eye that just didn't work for me. Um, I don't know if that worked for anyone. Yeah, that was there's but, some real strange yeah. storylines. And then there were some really great ones, like getting trapped in a time dial or in a time device. That one was mm-hmm. pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it had some highs, but it, it had some real highs, but mostly it had some really low lows for me. Um, I really struggled to get on board with what Moffat was creating for Capaldi. Um, and I know I'd mentioned this to you, Matt, when we sort of got on a tangent, when we talked about recording this episode, um, I feel like Moffat didn't have a good editor or a good sounding board during these, Mm. this, this Mm. kind of creative process. He didn't have a good person to bounce ideas off of to keep him on track, right? Like, no, we need to make sure that everything is intentional and everything has purpose. And, and it, it got into some kind of crazy, fantastical places that didn't make sense. And I couldn't follow and just, too far i feel like it jumped a little too far over the shark for my taste um with this doctor so hearing that moffat and capaldi had decided to move on um i actually was very excited um i want to say i like did a little dance the day that i heard um which is sad because i love sherlock too so i mean i'm usually Mm -hmm. generally a fan of stephen moffat but at this point he's kind of just gone off the deep end for me so I was real excited to hear that we were gonna get another doctor and even more so excited to hear that it was gonna be a lady this time so um, that's kind of where I fall in this whole Capaldi generation of doctors. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's it's very funny because I, I think um, I, I I don't know how anybody could really fault you for saying that because, I, you know, I I've been watching Doctor Who for quite a while now, and in fact, when I first started. Um, Matt had not finished his run, and in fact, uh, I think um, really caught it um, in the midpoint between uh, season seven when they had that break in season seven uh, because Matt and Karen had, or uh, Karen and and um, Arthur, Arthur had left, and then they had the break, and and then you know Claire comes in, um, and so, and I honestly I think you know Doctor Who in general. When when Karen and Arthur left, the show took a nosedive for me, big time. Um, and it never really truly recovers. I never really uh, grew to like Clara as a character. Uh, um, she uh, was more of a plot point than a character. And then um, once she kind of, they try to make her a character, it never really truly worked for me. Um, and, um, it wasn't actually until they finally brought on Bill that I was really enjoying uh, the doctor having a, a companion again, who felt like she had her own, you know, um, sense of being and, and kind of like purpose and everything. And so I, you know, I, I feel like what happened with Capaldi's doctor was just epidemic from what was already happening which was that I, I I sensed that Moffat was kind of running out of some ideas or just wasn't sure what to do. Um, I, I mean, after season five and six with the, we, you know, the epic season long arcs that happened, um, I think, I think he always wanted to try and recreate those 
and he was never able to find a way to do that. And Capaldi really suffered from that. And I think Peter Capaldi is a great actor. I don't think for the most part the writing ever serviced him well. And and I'm with you. I think that's what ended up happening. And it was frustrating because, um, you know, you'd get an episode. I have to call out the Husbands of River Song. That episode was phenomenal. Like it, it serviced the character of Capaldi as being the older doctor and really servicing uh, the character of uh, River Song, um, you know, that that's the doctor that she had really come to know. And so when, you know, go you, you go all the way back and she meets David for the first time, uh, Tenet's doctor, it, it's just it's just a fantastic thing um, when she's like, oh, this this isn't her doctor. Right. And, and so um, I just I really like that. And I felt like it was it something was clicking on all cylinders there, but I never felt like the seasons for Capaldi really found many of those moments to truly click. Um, Yeah, it felt, his seasons felt very disconnected from everything else that had been done. I mean, even between some of the others, you had some good companion carryover that continued a storyline through Mm -hmm. that, that character, or you have something like River who carried on across almost all, you know, almost you know, multiple companions, multiple doctors, like she kind of wove through everything and you just didn't have that continuity. It felt very much so like all of a sudden we stopped one show and started a new show. I know. I agree with you. It was, it's kind of um, strange. And I think the other problem became the fact of carrying Clara over as a character. Like um, it didn't, it didn't work for me. Um, because she never worked for me. And then her whole storyline with Danny Pink and all of that stuff just, it never really came together. Yeah. I agree. And that was, that was really frustrating for me um, to see that. And so it, coming down to his uh, regeneration here in the Christmas special is, is also interesting because usually it's kind of like a sad time. But I do have to say, um, I just want to talk a little bit before we dive into his regeneration specifically. Um, for you, through the new series, you know, uh, the through you know from two thousand nine onwards, what have been the regenerations that stuck out the most to you and had like the most meaning as you watched through the series, especially now that you've seen all the way through to Capaldi? So, so from like two thousand four, two thousand five, from Eccleston till now. Yeah, from Eccleston all the way now to Capaldi. What are the ones that like really stuck with you? Um, I think, and you know, everyone's going to have their own bias on this one. I think depending on who your doctor is, um, I think Tenant's Goodbye was probably the one that still is is the most um, impactful for me. Um, I'll I'll just very be upfront and say Tenant Ten is my doctor, um, but something about just the sheer look of, on his face, that emotion of like I don't want to go as he goes. Um, I think that's the sort of sympathy all the doctors share is they don't they don't want to to leave and become something else. Um, but for his his stands out the most to me as the most like genuine. Um, it also happens in the episode with who I always thought of as my favorite um, companion for David Tennant, which is Wilfred. <laughs> um so, you know, he gets a, a good chunk of that episode and he really gets to teach David Tennant's doctor about what it means to be a good soldier, you know? Um, so for me, that whole, that regeneration sort of always gives me the 
the goosebumps. It hits me right in the feels. Um, um, I like that, you know, Matt Smith, Matt Smith's regeneration comes back and talks to Clara and says, I still need you. You know, he calls her from the very short past um, and says, you know, that device of reaching out as the doctor she knows to encourage her to stay with the new doctor. I liked um, that device. I don't like Clara as a companion either. And I don't like that she continued on, especially not as long as she did. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I get, I like that he reached out to remind her that it's still him, you know? Um, so I thought that kind of device was really interesting. Um, but those are probably the two parts of a, um, regeneration that I liked the most that kind of stand out the most to me. Mm. Um, what about, what about you? You know, um, for me, I have to say the ones that work the best are the ones that, um, feel like they fit the actual storyline that they were telling for the doctor and so Eccleston and Tennant I think are the are the best regenerations that we've had in in the new series because they are not divorced from what the storyline was for the doctor uh and you know Eccleston obviously is right there in the in the thick of wrapping up that first season and and so it's it's this season long arc to where he then regenerates and then you know for for David uh very much the same thing you know he had gone through all of these things and you have uh these um four different specials that happen that culminate in his regeneration so uh, and and it it was all very much connected to everything else that Davies had been doing with Tenet in the first place and so you when you got to the regeneration, you felt like it, it meant something um, and, and that it was part of the journey that you had been on. Um, you know, when you got to Smith, uh, he's on this weird Christmas town thing and it doesn't make any sense uh, why he's there. And, and it, it feels completely disconnected from everything that he was as the doctor, really. Are you talking I about felt when he like- dies in Trenzalore? Are you yeah, talking about just, the one where he dies in Trenzalore? Yeah. But it's, yeah. And it's the yeah. Christmas town with all the, with yeah. the Cybermen and the Daleks. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It just doesn't, um, it, 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 it's like they want to connect it, but it feels disconnected. And part of that is because, you know, I, I think it would have been more in service to the character of Smith if he had gone kind of right after losing Rory and Amy, because those are his companions, right? Well, I mean, that's where he's the most, I feel like, the most effective. I feel like it would have been, I think that one was weird because you have him get old, right? You have him mm-hmm. actually age, and then he regenerates to become young again, and then he regenerates as Capaldi. So right. it's, like, very strange in the manner he does, and I feel like if you're keeping in line with what Matt Smith's doctor was, you needed him to die in some sort of glorious battle instead of in this weird, he becomes young and dies again sort of way. Um, You needed him to sort of go out in some heroic self-sacrificial manner, which you sort of got there, but not quite, you know, you needed you know you needed it to be a little more desperate um Mm -hmm. and then but they had to do something in order to reset this 13 regenerations that they've somehow established in the original series 
So, you know, they had to involve the Time Lords and all this stuff. I feel like it just got needlessly complicated, his regeneration. Um, And I feel like it sort of fell victim to trying to fit both a regeneration story and a Christmas story at the same time. And I think that's maybe what happened for me on this last one as well, as it was trying to fit like a Christmas story and a regeneration story instead of allowing it to be one or the other. It wasn't a Christmas special or a regeneration story. They put them together. And so right. both both elements had to be there, which made it really full. Mm. Yeah. And, and it just, um, it almost felt like maybe it just needed to be maybe a two hour episode then, you know, to really let things breathe and, and really build the tension. Or and, if we're in and, true Moffat style, it should have been a two parter. Yeah. He loves to do multi part episodes. Mm-hmm. That is his thing. That's it's his true. jam. His yeah, jam. It's very true. <laughs> well, and it, it and it's interesting too because you know as I'm thinking back, you know, obviously Moffat is very talented and he wrote some of the best episodes of Doctor Who. I mean, when you think of back Blink is one of the most popular episodes ever, Girl in the Fireplace. I mean, you know, this guy knows what he's doing when it comes to Doctor Who. Um I I think that there were p- this by the time that we got to Smith and that regeneration I just feel like, and it, and it really bled over into the Capaldi era, there was a lack of freshness, and things became very blasé, and it hurt that character. And so getting to this Christmas special, I, I wanted to ask you twice upon a time, uh, what are your just kind of, what what are the general thoughts uh, for you, the, the general impression of this Christmas special? And of course, you know, ending with uh, the coming of a new doctor. So I feel like this Christmas special was a good summation of Capaldi's run entirely. And that I feel like, and, and Moffat has even gone on the record and said that his goal with Capaldi was to sort of tap back into those old original Doctor Who series. So a lot of people who grew up with that, a lot of people who've seen those, who enjoy those, enjoyed a lot of the plot elements from Capaldi's run. And I feel like that he took this Christmas special and this regeneration special and tried to do like one last homage to that um, by including the first doctor, by using a lot of that stock footage, by taking a lot of those old thoughts and ways and bringing them into a current Doctor Who episode. I feel like it was sort of his last goodbye to that attempt to recapture those feelings um so i felt for me personally like i was there were some things that probably went over my head because i am not familiar with those original series um so like i have a, a friend who has seen all of them and watched doctor who you know back when it aired um or shortly in syndicate when it aired and you know he probably loved this episode um i don't know that I got all of that I could get out of it because I haven't done that. And because of that, it felt stiff and old in some areas um, in terms of like the storyline felt pushed um, and not organic. Um, I did. I love, I love um, Pearl Mackey as Bill Potts. I was so glad how we got her back and not that she just magically came back from the dead but that she's still dead. Um, 
but we still get to experience her in a fresh way. Um, I really loved that. So I loved what they did. I love that the aliens weren't bad. And I love that at the end, he's like, oh, it's not an evil plot. I don't know what to do. It's not an evil plot. Um, there was a few parts of this I really, really loved. And um, if I'd seen more of that throughout the whole couple seasons, I might have been a little more on board with the Capaldi doctor. He felt a little softer in this episode. But yeah, I mean, it's it wasn't my favorite, but it also was not my least favorite. I like that you you pulled out this like, this word of like stiff and and um and some of the things kind of feeling, uh, for lack of a better term, forced. I I I would say um I I generally enjoyed the episode in the sense that it was fun. The banter between Capaldi, uh, Bill and. Doctor number one, I thought was very funny. Like all of that stuff was in generally very enjoyable to watch them kind of go back and forth. But I will say, you know, for the history of Doctor Who, it felt very, again, it's very forced. We're, we're forcing the first Doctor into this story. This is, it's like the biggest retcon of retcons that the first Doctor is having this, you know, uh, trepidation about regenerating even though he never had before but somehow he is now just as Capaldi's doctor is having this trepidation and so it creates this you know time stoppage uh, so that the testimony comes in and like um, again it, it doesn't feel organic and part of it is that it doesn't feel organic to I don't feel like it it connects completely with Capaldi's doctor in, in the sense of where he's been and who who he is and, and why he's there at this point. Um, I feel like all the doctors have recently have been asking this question of have I lived too long? And I don't know, it, it just doesn't feel as connected story plot-wise as I want it to, for especially for 12, to be going through this this questioning. Um, and maybe that's because none of the seasons for Capaldi have felt that cohesive. And so I'm not feeling what I, I know what Moffat wants me to feel, but he's not making me feel that in the episode. And part of that is that this isn't really an episode about Peter's doctor. It's It's more about the gimmick of having the first doctor in there and kind of like, I don't know. It just feels disconnected. Like it, yeah, it's it's lacking, you know, um, unregenerated, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like I, it doesn't I, feel fresh. I feel like I agree that this wasn't Capaldi's doctor. Like this wasn't the doctor that, like he we have come to learn him to be over the last three years, right? right. Because over the last three years, we've seen him be a doctor with an older face. And the mo- but one of the most immature doctors that we've had so far, right? Can't emotionally cope, um, acts irrationally based on his emotions, mm-hmm. is fearful, is cowardly. Like that, that's a lot of the, the lessons that his doctors had to learn, right? And right. just to put it out there because someone's going to jump all over this, I'm not calling the doctor a coward. <laughs> um, but he acts from these places and then he learns these lessons, right? That are kind of culminated in his farewell speech. Um, but that 
he to me he would experience these lessons and in his series in his seasons i don't feel like he ever acted like he learned from them he wouldn't learn about fear and then be brave in the next episode he'd learn about fear and then be like oh well i should have been brave and then just again repeat his actions in the next episode so Mm. i feel like i agree that this this christmas special didn't really pair up with the doctor that we've learned about over the last three seasons the the real big bummer part is if you had made the doctor we had in this Christmas special, the doctor we'd had the last three seasons, I probably would have enjoyed it a great deal more. This sort of like modern, forward thinking, not fearful, not cowardly, protective, kind, compassionate person who thinks he's lived too long because he's done hurting and not because you know, he's lived long enough. Like if you had created that doctor over the last three seasons, I would be much sadder that we were losing Peter Capaldi, but we didn't. And that's the part that feels disconnected. So it's like, it's a good standalone episode, but it doesn't work with everything else we've learned in the last three seasons. Yeah. I I think that's really, uh, it's a really good summation of, of how I felt coming out of it. Like I, I, I enjoyed watching it and it was, it was fun. Um, you know, and I had a good time with, you know, in general, what they were trying to do in the episode. And then I had fun, you know, again, with all the banter and everything um, back and forth. But there was just something that was missing. And um, I I think what was missing is exactly what you pointed out, the, that connection with the, the thematic arc for this doctor. And, and you know, you know, going back... This doctor's first question to Clara was, am I a good man? Like, am I a good person? Because he, he when he came into this regeneration, obviously, uh, it, it was very different. You know, you're not supposed to have this many regenerations. And so uh, he didn't know who he was. And and the whole point of this, I felt like the, the story for this doctor was trying to figure out who to be in this many lifetimes and it just it never felt like that thread truly connected throughout all three seasons so that when you get to this point and he does decide to live um that uh you really feel coming out of it that joy of oh yes the doctor's coming back um, and has decided to live like everybody lives. You know, this one should be the doctor lives. He's chosen to live. Yes. Uh, but I, it, yeah, I don't know. Um, I did. I just, random question. <laughs> so Bill died because the last time we saw Bill, she was alive with the water girl. She wasn't really alive. Um, yeah, that that to me actually is a big gripe over the last three seasons is they've painted some things in ways that were very unclear. Um, but are very definite at the same time. Um, so like Clara dying, but not really dying. And she's still kind of alive in the moment, but she's still dead. And I, I like same, same deal. Like there's just a lot of ambiguity in the last three seasons. Um, so my understanding of what happened with Bill is that she was turned into a Cyberman and that she sacrificed herself to save all the people on that satellite spaceship time vortex right. thing. And that uh, basically right at her moment of death, she had the choice of dying or living as this like spiritual existential being. 
Um, so she's not, she has no more corporeal form, but she has like she's a spirit that lives her, out there with yeah. that Heather, with the Heather yeah. water girlfriend. With the water um, girlfriend. Yeah. And so my, th- I mean, everybody needs a water girlfriend. I mean, who, who doesn't want like a homie that just I'm comes just, out of a puddle at any given I'm time? I'm just saying. <laughs> um, but my thought is that in order to become that, you have to leave your physical form and, and in essence, die in that sense. So my mm. thought is that she died that way. And, and you know, and he doesn't know that she became this water being, right? right. That's something we as viewers know. Um, but even so, the thought is that she's not taking physical form again. Um, and so in that sense, she's dead. Um, hmm. Okay. So. It's the same yeah. thing they did with Clara. They don't actually want to kill them off, so they can't use them again. So she dies, but then is frozen in a moment for all eternity so she can right. live on and do whatever she wants. So you could bring See, her back. That was the other or thing. Not, because, or... uh, so, so this is my gripe with this uh, because it is unclear. Because the way that the testimony works, at least the, what the episode said, um, is that at the moment of somebody's death, they are pulled out from that and all of their memories are downloaded so that they can still testify to who they were and their life still has incredible meaning because you were able to learn from somebody's mistakes by actually asking them from their own memories. And uh, then they are put back into their timeline and they die and they know they don't remember that this happened to them. So. To me, that said that there was a definite moment where Bill had to die and she stopped being even water girl. Um, And that also meant that there was a moment where Clara made the decision to finally stop living in her moment uh, with a shielder and come back and actually decide to die. But all of those things happen off screen. So it's just like this real cheat of saying, well, you know, we got to wrap it up somehow. So... Um, we don't really want the doctor to not remember Clara, so we're going to cheat and give you back his memories and everything. And it's just like, again, it felt very cheap. It wasn't, it, it, it didn't have the emotional weight because it's just this like snap of a finger change. And it's, it's, it's like, I loved having Bill back, but then you've taken a, like, you've made it somehow that she's not alive now, even though the last time we left her, she was alive and very happy because she was with her water girlfriend. Like, so uh, I took it a little uh, bit differently that made it made a little more sense for me. I took it as they were plucked from their, from their, their lives moments before death. And that they collect their memories as of that moment. Right. And then they're put back into their moment. And then, you know, time says they should die. So my thought is both Clara and Bill were taken, were taken and their memories were captured by the testimony. And then they were put back into their bodies. And then whatever weird thing happens, happens to them then. So I take it as the her running off with me and with her going off with her water girlfriend happened after the testimony so they would take them for their testimony they'd go back and then whatever weird thing the doctor would do or whoever would do to save them then what happened kind of like with Lethbridge Stewart he goes to have his testimony taken they bring him back and he's in the Christmas armistead of 1914 and versus so he lives. him dying right. right so he lives 
But as of that moment, they had taken him and everything right. he knew up till then. Right. So yeah. in that sense, um, you know, it doesn't quite make sense because then something like Bill shouldn't know about going the the Bill testimony shouldn't know about the water girlfriend. Um, that's kind right. of like the one right. plot because element it, that doesn't work. Right. But that's kind of how I had to justify it in my head. So it made sense to me. Well, because she remembers going off with her. But she doesn't remember, yeah. No, I, guess I mean, you maybe could also that, argue that yeah. time's not linear. And maybe she did go off with her and those water beams mm-hmm. only have a thousand year life or whatever. And it's mm-hmm. a thousand years yeah. after that. You know, who knows? But yeah, it's another one of those things where it was a convenient element they used that didn't quite make sense. Right. It's too timey-wimey for its own good. It's so timey-wimey they couldn't justify how timey-wimey it was. Ex- uh, no, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. And, and I think the goodbye to... Capaldi from strictly those two companions, those two memories, right? Made it, to me, made his doctor feel even more disconnected from the others. Because if you think about Matt, see, Matt Smith sees Rose at some point in a goodbye. Like they see all of the memories they've ever had in, right. for the past doctors. And this doctor is the one where he only sees his past memories, which to me made it feel even more disconnected. Um, mm-hmm. You could have had just flashes from screen footage or something to tie all those those right. lives together, because right. you've got now everything from the first Doctor till the twelfth mm-hmm. Doctor. You could have used. Um, yep. Well, but, and they do that because they bring in the first Doctor, so it it should they could seem have like, done it easily. Right. Right. But that they this didn't. Doctor should be more in tune with the fact that. That like he there is are con- more there are more yeah. memories than what yep. we're seeing right yeah right what well, he even says if I were to I I would shatter you with all of my memories that it, so it, yeah it seems very strange that we only pick out those two and I'm I'm sure it's just because hey that's all we could get back to actually be in the episode for five seconds um, especially Clara because um, she's doing Victoria uh, but yeah it just uh, no I'm right there with you it, it seems. The problem, look, Doctor Who has always been timey-wimey, right? And so, but the problem with this one is the the same problem that I have when I start to think about The Last Jedi. It's like, the more I thought about it, the less it made sense. And that's never a good thing, even for a Doctor Who episode where, for the most part, even though it's timey-wimey, they do a pretty good job with their own rules. Um, With this one, really, I was like, I don't understand that at all and it's kind of it's pulling me out of the story instead of pulling me into the story and that's never a good thing well and i feel like the reason doctor who got so popular in the last decade is because of some of the changes that were made to the series and then taking the last three seasons and going back to the way it was when it was canceled in the 1960s like there's a reason why it's popular now and it wasn't popular in the 1960s. And like to go back to the things to honor its roots, I appreciate, but you can't now stake something that you, it's like telling me you're going to give me chocolate and you're going to give me chocolate and you're going to give me chocolate. And I love chocolate. And then all of a sudden you slip me strawberry. I may like strawberry, but if I'm expecting chocolate, I'm not going to be happy that I got strawberry. Right. And strawberry is good and all, but it's not what I wanted and it's not what I expected. And you're mm-hmm. going to, I'm not going to come back and, and ex- I'm not going to come back again because I didn't get chocolate. So I feel like he's alienating fans and he's alienating people, giving them what they were used to. And all of a sudden trying to change it up so much that you're not giving us what we wanted and what we grew to love and what, what you've, we've grown to expect. And 
you're just kind of throwing us a curveball. And it wasn't a gradual right. thing. It was like an in-your-face. Bla- it was not like you gave us milk chocolate and now you gave us dark chocolate. You literally gave us strawberry. Um, so, I mean, it's just it's just one of those things where, like, I feel like this was the last ditch effort to pay homage to that. And it was, you know, Moffitt's last opportunity to be like, well, I'm going to give you guys strawberry and you're going to like it. Um, and yeah, maybe now we like the strawberry, but still, it's still not what we wanted. We wanted chocolate. We, mm-hmm. We've always wanted chocolate. So please just give us chocolate again. Well, and, and I think, you know, uh, just kind of speaking specifically to having the first doctor there, um, and we kind of I referenced how it felt kind of forced in. And I also feel like um, he just kind of became the butt of the joke, too, which is disappointing. You know, um, the first doctor, yes, could he be uh, a little bit of his time? You know, the 60s? Yes. Um, but to continually kind of point that out and just use that as a joke, um, I think doesn't serve that doctor very well or treat it with the respect that it's due. Um, well, and I'd love to know. It? So we're talking about before we started recording, you know, contacting us via email and on the Babel, on the Babel conference and all that. I'd really, really love to know, cause I'm sure there are listeners out there who have, you know, dabbled in or watched or enjoyed that original Dr. Who series. I'd love to know how true to character that first doctor was. Is it really just that starkingly different over the last 50 or 60 years? Or is it, you know, or did they kind of caricaturize him a little bit? Because um, I, yeah, I agree. It, is he that of a misogynist? Like, right. You know. I, I agree that I'm sure there is some difference in opinion and all of that. But it did feel a little over the top, um, especially after his own self kept telling him to stop stop um and i think that the the joking reference to a spanking was a little over the line for me i didn't appreciate that that went too far for me um but uh i would yeah okay i I want to ask you about that yeah because like that was hysterical in the sense that like the way bill takes it you know um which was very odd because there are a couple of jokes in the series in the in this where he went the first doctor's like "Ooh, browser history what's that and it made it seem like you're you're making a joke about the twelfth doctor looking at maybe inappropriate or like I guess pornographic things, right? And then you kind of make this reference that him and Bill are have this like sexual like sexual Yeah. I mean she's like, Yeah, hey, I'm an open minded girl, but you know, now we have this whole professor student thing going on. And it's like where did that come from? Because they've never been that. And she's gay. Right. And she's right. gay. Like there would and there's never any it never should have been because that's not what she is. Like Well, and we've never made any reference to her being bisexual. Right. It's just Which would be different, right? I mean, it, it then that joke would make more sense if we had actually gone with the fact that she's bisexual. Then I, I get it. That that make because I mean it is kind of a funny joke in, in the fact that she's like, I want us to never stop talking about this because she finds it hysterical. But when I think back on it and when I rewatched it, I was like, Yeah, that's kind of funny, but I feel uncomfortable watching this scene. Yeah, I don't think that that tension was ever there. And so to insinuate that it was, was confusing and almost insulting because it wasn't there. And I don't think it needed to be there. So why did we feel like it needed to be there? I mean, I got 
the initial humor of like, oh, look, now I'm up with modern times and I used to be such this closed-minded guy. But like uh, that strict dichotomy has never existed either. You know, we never, we know the doctor grows and learns and is, I guess, what, millions or billions of years old after that whole time episode. Um, but we never got the sense that he was disrespectful to women ever. Like, you never got the impression that that was something he had. So I'm really curious if the original series did have some sort of perspective on women that, you know, that was very fitting for that character and very fitting for the role. But again, why did we need to point that out? Like, why did that need to be the focus of the interaction between those two characters? We could have gone on browser history. We could have gone on multiple world wars. We could have gone on... There's so many other things that have developed over the last thousands of years that we could have focused on instead of these outdated, antiquated views on what a woman's role in the TARDIS should be. Like, one one brief mention of it and the fact that we've moved on past that would have been sufficient. We didn't need to mm-hmm. keep coming back to it and back to it and back to it again. Um, so, I mean, yeah, just, I don't, I don't know if we need to go to putting somebody over their knee and creating a, why would you have ever done that? Why would you have ever done that? Ever. I don't know. Ever. I mean, that's something you use on children. Like, yeah, I mean, that is a thing that you do when you have a spanking. Yeah. You don't. You don't give adult spankings. I mean, right. this is because they not... don't clean your TARDIS or they taught they they use dirty words. She's you don't bend a woman over your knee and spank her because she used the word arse like <laughs> Fifty Shades of the Doctor. <laughs> like it's just it was weird and unnecessary it weird. and it was really uncomfortable. And I mm. mean, I appreciate that on screen they were also really uncomfortable. Um, but you could have just left the whole thing out and no one had to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Imagine yeah. that. Imagine that. It's... So something I wanted to ask you too is, is speaking of the first doctor and something that was interesting about using him was this whole idea of why he left uh, and that he said he was trying to figure out why there is good uh, because he said that, uh, and this is the quote, he says, good is not a practical survival strategy. It requires loyalty, self-sacrifice and love. Why does good prevail? And so I thought that that was something that was very interesting because what he's admitting is that evolutionary wise, good doesn't make sense. You know, um, that it, it when we look at the rules of, you know, uh, survival of the fittest, the idea of good being there doesn't make sense. So why does it exist? I think that's a fantastic question to be asking. And the answer that he gets from Bill is somewhat interesting as well. I mean... It's a good point, right? That things that are not self-serving are by nature not self-serving, right? They don't do us as good. Um, But there's something to be said about not everything has to be self-serving and that there are greater benefits to the whole for not being self-serving. And I think we see that today in the people who spend their time and money volunteering and donating to charities and to causes like Puerto Rico and Haiti and the California wildfires and, you know, all the stuff that happened in Texas and you know all of the different world disasters we're going through um, and all the different things that people really invest their time and efforts in that aren't necessarily self-serving. Um, and 
there's actually a really there's something that has stuck with me since the 90s when I first saw this episode of Friends. We're gonna go real far back here for a sec. Yes. There's an episode of Friends where um, Joey is talking about um, Phoebe doing good things for I want to say Thanksgiving. Um, and how there is no such thing as a good deed because when you do them, you feel good. And that is selfish. And there is no such thing as a non-selfish good deed. And ever since then, that stuck with me that we always get something out of it when we do something good. Whether it directly benefits us monetarily or in the survival of the fittest, you know, we're not always the strongest. There's more to th- surviving and living than just being the strongest or the tallest or the prettiest or the wealthiest there's something that feeds like our soul and being kind that makes it easier to live and makes it better to live and i think that's a really interesting concept of you know how long do we want to survive and how do we want to survive and i think that that's sort of something you think about there is that they're all self-serving. They all do something for us. It's just a matter of what do they do for us and how, what do we need, you know? Well, and, and honestly, it was kind of interesting because I think that whole idea brings up, you know, I mean, even, you know, in the Bible, you know, Jesus himself says, you know, don't store up yourself treasures on earth, you know, um, store them in heaven. So the idea that we will be rewarded for doing good on earth is is something that is spiritual. You know, the idea that there is a reward that comes with that. You might not get it now, but you will get it. And so, like, there there is that sense of where being self-serving is not being self-serving, you know? Like, I'm doing good for others here, but it will actually be of benefit to me in the long run, in eternity, you know? Like, it's not just going to matter here but it lasts on and i think that's really interesting because obviously for the doctor the idea of good um and it lasting longer than just his lifetime or or himself like you you see all the good that he and this is the thing where i feel like the episode doesn't bring this theme home even though it's there is the idea that without the doctor existing all the good that he's done like if the first doctor doesn't regenerate and become the second doctor all of that's wiped out and we've seen that in episodes before. We've seen that in the one with Donna making a different choice where Tenet dies in the Christmas special from 2008 or whatever with the crazy spider creature. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we see that, that that will make a significant difference on the world. Right. Well, and, and, and what it felt like is that they're trying to get across kind of the message of it's a wonderful life for the doctor. But I don't feel like that they really... It, it kind of just dies there. It's one of those things where he was trying to do too much. He was trying to focus on too mm-hmm. many themes and too many messages, do too many things all at the same time. Then instead of taking one key message and focusing on just yeah. that and really driving that home and making sure that everything we did mm-hmm. in the episode was intentional to that message, he tried to do so many of them that it just doesn't work. And you right. get lost and you get these half-hearted messages and you get this like... Blah. Blah. Well, yeah, um, and, I, you know, I, I think that, again, the answer um, is kind of interesting, at least the one that Bill gives him, and maybe it's just a bloke, maybe it's just the doctor, basically, the one who, 
kind of puts it all on the doctor for the reason that good exists in the universe, which makes him almost godlike, which I don't think I really like that answer because the doctor obviously is not god or even godlike. I mean, he lives a long time, but he's capable of making mistakes and failing and all of those things. And I don't think the doctor makes a very good god. You know, like that's uh, so that answer be a seems flawed god. Yeah, uh, the fact, uh, as K2SO would say, that epi- that answer is vague and unconvincing. Um, so, um, w- one thing that also was very interesting is um, bringing this in with the armistice, uh, the Christmas Day armistice of the World War One. Very famous, you know, um, both sides dropping their weapons um, and celebrating Christmas Day together. Um, and I thought that that was kind of an interesting thing. And again, I think this is a, po- a moment where there's too much going on. But the message of if we could remember that we're really not all that different. Uh, and of course, that day, it's what what brings them together. Well, they sing, they hear each other singing the same Christmas song, the same Christmas carol, um, Silent Night, Holy Night, you know, all is calm, all is bright. And the, the beauty of that, of, of that, for one brief moment, they let go of the, what's dividing them, and they brought together by what brings them together. And I, I, you know, that's a really, I think that message of we're not that different, so maybe we could drop our weapons and find where we connect is is definitely an important one for our world today. I just wish that it had been more of a focus of the episode because the when it comes thematically in this episode, it's kind of all over the place. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they had an opportunity to really go with this whole we're not all that different type thing. They had this idea, this concept to go with this greater good and good over throwing everything else and how it may not be self-serving but it's what we need in that moment they could have taken a theme and run with it and woven it through a lot of what they did anyway but they just it felt so disconjointed and all over the place that it like didn't have the effect that I wanted it to have which is sad because that's such an I mean the idea of that Armistead is so impactful and it's such an epic moment in history that it gives you the goosebumps all on its own um, and they, I think they tried to play too much with that and weave too many themes into that, that like the idea of the Armistead being a real historical thing was so much more impactful than I think much else in the episode. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And then uh, it leads me to something that's very interesting is the doctor is going into his regeneration. He's telling things to himself, you know, of what he wants the, the new doctor to remember. And he says this line that hate is always foolish and love is always wise. Which is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. You want to know why? Because hate is a part of love. Like the reason that we hate, it's because it's it's impacting something we love. The things we hate most are what are impacting those things that we love most. So I hate people treating other people badly. You want to know why? Because I love people. Hate and Hate and love are not all that they're they're two sides of the same coin. Yeah, but let me let me put this spin on it for you because for me I thought that was very very wise of him because for me it's not about hate it's about where do I want to invest 
my effort, my energies, right? If I have something that I hate because it's affecting something I love, do I need to take all of my time and energy and focus it on my hatred? What the, what am I going to get out of that? Or in the same moment, can I take the same energy, invest it in that which I love and grow that? And is that going to be better for me in the long run? So for me, I took it as where you vest your energies. If you vest your energies in in hatred, it's foolish because you're never going to get anything out of it. You're just going to end up angry and tired and vengeful. And there's just going to be more pain that comes from that. Or take your energies and direct them towards that thing which you love and protecting it and caring for it and nurturing it so that that grows more love and that protects more things and grows more things, knowing that there's already going to be hatred and pain. So for me, I took it as where do I want to invest my energies? Those who invest them in hatred are fools, but those who invest them in that which is love are wise. So I took it more as where do I direct my energy? Because they both exist. You're totally mm-hmm. right. But where do I where do I really want to like, do I want to sit here and bitch the entire time and moan and complain? Or do I want to sit here and tell you how much I love and focus on those things that can make my evening really great? You know, that's kind of how I took that for him. Yeah. Instead. I, I guess um I guess what I, I, I see it as and because I totally get what you're saying, and I think you're right. I think the problem is that it's much more nuanced than just the straight up statement that he gives. I agree. Um, and what you His said very is the nuance, white. right? Yeah. You, what you said is the nuance, which is the, the beauty of that. It is the balance of both, right? Because what you hate also drives what you love and vice versa and, and how you react to all those. And so I totally get that. I, I think just making the problem is I feel like the world is, is coming down to these false dichotomies. Yeah. And in love and hate is a false dichotomy. Yeah. And 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 in the media, I feel like, and even the stories that we're telling are are sh- are spreading that false dichotomy as 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 if it's truth, and it's not because they are m- more linked than we would like to to say. Uh, I can totally so, see where you're going with that. Yeah, that it made it very black and white, and there's lots of gray in our world, mm-hmm. and lots of gray in Doctor Who, even. And it would be would have been wiser, given the climate, to have talked about the gray versus the very right. black and white, right. two sided, well, right. one right. versus the other. Yeah, I can I can see that. Look, I I'm definitely somebody who believes that there is black and there is white when it comes to right and wrong and those kind of things. But it's also there. There's much more a, of a both and, uh, you know, to most things in life than there is just like oh this, but not that. Because so much of life is much more holistic than that. Like uh, to say, all of life is holistic, you know, and so many of these things are are more a part of each other than they than we realize, and when we don't pay homage to that even in the stories that we tell i think um we do a disservice and it's one of the reasons i think that um specifically uh the star wars series has done because there's the light and the dark right that exist in us um we do have the capacity for good but we also have the capacity for great evil and and a lot of times the easiest even star wars shows it the 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 quick and easy path is the dark way um and it's it's much harder to choose what is right. And George Lucas even mentions that um, in in uh, his his idea of of humanity, 
Um, so yeah, I, I think this was just one of those like quippy statements to say that sounds good. But when I start to think about it, I was like, mm, yeah, I can see probably. That. I did like though in his um, regeneration sort of farewell um, monologue, if you will. Um, I did like when he talked about like laugh hard, run mm-hmm. fast. Um, and I don't remember the third one now. Laugh hard. Don't eat run, pears. Run fast. Which I like because I don't like pears. So, and I think it was like love often or love always or something like that. Um, and I I liked that. I liked that it was short mm-hmm. and succinct and to the point and um, yeah, a little a little lighthearted with the run fast. You know, um, I have to admit I remember hearing uh, interviews with Pearl Mackey about how she ev- all of the companions told her when she got the role like get ready for the workout of a lifetime. You're going to run more than you ever imagined you could. (laughs) Um, And I I love that that continues on and it always makes me kind of laugh, but um, I liked his kind of succinct farewell. We're, we're, we're on, we're moving on now. Um, What did you think? um, Cause we only get like a few seconds with our brand new doctor. Yeah. Um, But what did you think uh, about the way it, ends with her and where we're I guess gonna go next um I I I don't know I I didn't not like it um my husband hated it um for the same reason that he's starting to dislike all the new comic book movies and that if you you can't she's never gonna she's not gonna die you just introduced her you know there's a whole season of her She's not going to plummet to her death. There's no fear of her really being in peril here. Um, so he really hates those devices when it makes you feel like they're in danger when you know they're not going to die. So I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see where they're going to pick up from. I do like, um, though, that almost all of them, except for I think Capaldi, um, they pick up mid-crisis with the new doctor because they explode the TARDIS. There's always some crisis that the first episode with the new doctor starts out with them like panicked and freaking out and doing this and that and it's just fast and it starts and it goes into it um i do like that it looks like that's what we're going to do for this too is we're going to pick up with the tardis swooping and grabbing her or something happening um so i really do like that that excitement um it created that excitement again uh but uh i am really interested to see what we do with her and with the new doctor and the new showrunner. I'm excited to see what the he does. He did Broadchurch, if I remember correctly. So yeah, she she's in Broadchurch, and she's uh, really I think she's a great actress. So I'm very excited to see, uh, you know, where they're going to go with her. Uh, I kind the of showrunner I think is from Broadchurch too. If I yes, remember correctly. yes. Um, yeah. Chris and he's something. worked on uh, Doctor Who before too. I mean, he's written episodes as well. Oh, so. Good. I think he's he's going to be great, but I I did I really enjoyed her just seeing herself you know in and the viewer and be like oh brilliant um, you know that that she's, she's a woman <laughs> she's a she you know um, so I'm very excited to see that and, and you know I I think what it does is it gives life to the doctor and, and even if you do some things that are similar to other doctors you get a new perspective because it she is a woman and you know the wonderful thing about men and women is that we are different. Um, and we do respond differently to things just because of genetic differences. <laughs> like well, it's great, we, you know. And historically, like, we have different experiences, right? Mm-hmm. Just yeah, how history has come up. Women have experienced history differently, so they could go to some of the same time and places and have a completely different experience based on the fact that 
you know, she's now a woman. The doctor's now a woman instead of a man. Um, so I find that. And how really do people respond to her in those times? Right. How much authority does she still have knowing that she's not a man anymore and can't carry mm-hmm. some of that? Um, those roles that have gotten her into places before. Um, thinking, I always think specifically about the werewolf and Queen Victoria episode. Um, you know, how how different Rose and the doctor kind of got treated in the same experience, right? Yep. Um, so thinking how that would happen if, if the doctor had been a woman, how would that whole episode have played out? Um, so, um, and I, I just want to know, I find it so interesting, um, the fan acceptance slash backlash we've gotten on it being a woman. Um, I love that every time someone doesn't like the fact that the the doctor became a woman, the first thing they say in their argument is, I'm not sexist, but I hate that it's a woman. And and then their argument goes on to be incredibly sexist. Um, so I, I, I think that if this doctor does not play out to be a good doctor, you can take issue with it not being a good doctor, but I don't think gender plays any role in being a good or a bad doctor. I think you're just going to have a good or a bad doctor between the acting and the writing and how it works out. Um, you know, Capaldi wasn't a bad doctor because he was a man. He's just a bad doctor because it didn't work in terms of the story we were presented. Um, so I always, I always find it interesting that before she's even had any screen time, people already take issue um, instead of just giving it a chance and letting it play out and then deciding if it works for you or not. Um, so, and I love my favorite argument I saw online though, because I thought you'd get a kick out of this one was, um, I'm not sexist, but scientifically there's no way that the doctor could have regenerated as a woman because all of this is based on scientific evidence, guys, time and space, people regenerating into more people living for millions of years, but scientifically it can't be a woman. Hmm. Yeah, that doesn't make any I, sense. Doesn't make any sense. But I thought that argument was hilarious, and I laughed out loud for a little while on that one. So ha- had had to bring that one up. <laughs> the only uh, you know criticism that I'm not, and that wasn't a criticism. It was just a mother, and she wrote an article about how she didn't want the doctor to be a woman because there were very few um, male characters that she felt very comfortable with having her son look to as a role model. And uh, that was the one that I found the most interesting and I think the most compelling of the, the what she laid out and why she said that. Um, what she, she's like, you know, there were, there's so many amazing female characters coming out these days. She, this was just her article. I'm not, I'm not saying I agree with it or not. But that that she missed the fact that so many male characters, even there are so many, but not many of them that she really wants her son to emulate. And so uh, the doctor was one of those few where she just. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, I can. Okay, that's definitely at least she has. I think the the best reason for saying that. Otherwise, to me, again, I don't think it matters. Like it, it's it's. And again, at this point, I think it just creates new storytelling opportunities. And as we kind of talked about, I think it got kind of tired with Capaldi. Um, it, it finally just got tired. And so it is time for something really new to stretch Doctor Who in, in a good way, hopefully, to give us new storytelling opportunities. And in the end, that's what it's all about, is just trying to tell a good story. And hopefully this will allow them to do so. So it'll be interesting to see what they can do with it. And, 
you know, I know people are not going to be happy, but people were not happy when Matt Smith was cast younger, when Peter Capaldi was cast older. You know, you're never going to make everybody happy. Everyone's got the thing that they believe this should be and should look like. Um, so I'm excited that they took a chance to try something different with it. Um, I, I'm excited to see what they can do. Um, I would love to see, um, I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, what, what we get to have with a breath of fresh air between a new type of doctor and a new type of showrunner. And I'm going to guess there'll probably be some new writers on as well. Um, a new companion, a new type of companion. I think we have, I think they cast a male companion this time, um, which we haven't had since Rory. Um, so, well, I guess what's his name this season was kind of a male companion, but um, he was more of an androgynous companion. Yeah, Nardle. Yeah, um, but but it'll be it'll be really interesting to see. I think um, how it all sort of plays out. So I'm just really excited that it didn't die. I was really worried we were gonna we were gonna lose the steam behind Doctor Who and have to have to find a new sci-fi British sci-fi to get behind. <laughs> For you, uh, if you were going to just rate this this Christmas episode, um, what do you think? I would probably give it six out of ten frozen in time snowflakes, which would I like that put it uh, on par with the husbands of River Song for me personally. I liked the episode, but again, I was a little like ah, all over the place. Definitely above last year's Christmas special with Capaldi, the superhero themed one. So six. Okay, I'm gonna six and a half. Frozen snowflakes out of ten. Yeah, this one, um, you know, I I think uh, if we're going on that scale, is six out of ten glass avatars. So <laughs> you know, it's it's definitely not the strongest, especially even for Capaldi. I I honestly, you know, when I'm thinking of Christmas specials, um, but Christmas Carol is one of the top. Um, I I absolutely adored the Husbands of River Song. I thought it was one of the best Christmas specials they've ever done. Uh, but I mean, this you just one, gotta love River Song. She's just amazing. Uh, she, she is. She carried that whole episode. <laughs> yeah, well, and she absolutely does. And I I love. I mean, I've seen her um, at a few cons, and she's just a absolutely one hundred percent adorable as a person. Um, I kind of am in love with her. Who isn't? But. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's the thing that really helped that. And this one, yeah, it's it's just, as we said, it it, it does feel disjointed, disconnected, and, and kind of unfocused. And because of that, it doesn't do, I think, what it really wants to do well. And it, it leaves Capaldi, I think, leaving on just kind of an okay note. Um, and I, I think it brings to an end... I hate to say, I think the worst of the new doctors, you know, um, uh, because the more and more I rewatch like Chris Eccleston's doctor that season, especially by the time that, you know, the, the doctor dances, it totally comes together, um, as a, as a series. And, and this, this three run series with Capaldi just never really finds its center. Uh, and so, um, that's disappointing, but you know, hey, we have a brand new doctor to look forward to, and I cannot wait to talk about the new season. We'll have to get together, Drea, and talk about uh, Jodie Whittaker as doctor once um, 
she finally premieres. But, uh, you know, just really excited to have gotten to talk about this. This is the last episode for 2017. We're headed off into 2018. Very excited to do that. We have so much that'll be fun coming up in the 602 Club next year. But um, I really want to say thank you to Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson. They have faithfully been supporting the 602 Club and the network through Patreon. They're our associate producers here on this show and uh they know something that's really important this is a huge network and there's absolutely no way that we can do it um without your help and so go over to patreon.com slash trek fm and see how you can support the network we have many different levels you can be at every little bit really does help and so uh make that your new year's resolution maybe uh hey uh, you listen to Trek FM podcasts, and they don't have any ads and lots of great content. So head on over there to patreon.com slash trek.fm and see how you can be part of the team. Drea, I love uh, getting to have you on here on the 602 Club. Uh, I love that you had the idea. Um, let's do it, because it's been hard to find people who really love Doctor Who. And like, So I'm glad that I have a Doctor Who person now to talk about on the 602 club but uh where can everybody find you if they want to talk more doctor who or anything else sure if you want to come tell me how much you hate my doctor who review <laughs> and how much you love peter capaldi and all of the above um because isn't that what twitter's for right because <laughs> i always feel like messing with someone's doctor is like almost sacrilege sometimes um know that i support everyone's love for doctor who regardless of what it looks like um you can come find me on twitter at pcf chick um or come talk to me on instagram at drea kaufman it's c-o-f-f-m-a-n shoot an email all those different on the ba- on the babel conference all of those you know, come come talk to us i love to talk doctor who so really excited to be here and thanks thanks for having me and let me uh dish about my capaldi my capaldi woes <laughs> well, I'm glad we got a chance to do it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, MattRushing02. I'm on Instagram under the same name uh, here on the network. Uh, of course, uh, as well, doing The Orb with Chris Jones, talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We are both over on the Nerd Party Network talking about Harry Potter with Outposts as we walk through each and every chapter of that series and uh, we are almost through the prisoner of azkaban at this point so uh join us over there it's a lot of fun um doing aggressive negotiations over there as well with john mills as we talk all things star wars and of course we have so much to talk about now that the last jedi is out and then last but not least doing cinema stories with my good friend courtney as we kind of we go through films with a very specific lens of um, morals, meetings, messages, and, and really through the lens of faith. So I hope you will check out Cinema Stories. Uh, and you can find all of those shows wherever you get your podcasts. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now you're here.